What do you want to say right now, Ian? That you're beautiful, everybody. I love you. And you are beautiful, no matter what they say. Don't cry, okay? We can't have that at the beginning. Uh, Damn it! And then I turned the corner, and I saw them dancing. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a great movie. So how are you? I'm like I always am these days. I'm tired. I'm tired. I actually got sleep, too. I slept good, and I woke up. I'm like... I feel the same. This is great. It's <laughs> beautiful. This is called getting older, I guess. This is how it goes. I think this is called finding something you love to do and you're willing to sacrifice your body for it. Yeah, and it's also people flippantly talk about, oh, you just you gotta treat it like a second job. This is my second job. Right. That I, I pay to do. So that like, I pay well, I must to like do. I must like doing it, I guess. Yeah. Spend all I, my extra time doing this. So I've I've each each time we make another episode, I'm like, this is really fun. I like it's this. really fun, yeah. And the end result, like the last episode, was really good. Yeah, like, I like that it's one. It's edited well. Everything worked great. There was no tooting on Mike, so that was good. We got Ian's bowels under control. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. I don't know. You're welcome. That. You're welcome. Thank I, you. I try. I try. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so, for all of you listening in. This is the Philomythia podcast, and I'm Ian. And I'm Eric. And I remembered that if you like our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Yeah. Please do that. We hate saying it, by the way. We hate it. We hate it. It's obligatory. I hate hearing it, but uh, it does really help. And we'd like more people to listen to it. That That would be nice. That would be cool. It would be fantastic to get like five people listening, you know? Yeah, like just a, a good five. A good, good five. baseline. Good, good five. Just five people that are like, I like this, and I listen to it intently. I listen to it when it comes out every week. I get a, a, good, a <laughs> good creamy five. That's all. That's all. So the one of our fans, which is actually I'm going to talk about my sister. Give a shout out to Amy. Amy. She. <laughs> she the other day when we recorded an episode and. We did a bunch of shout outs to people when she listened to that one. She texted me immediately. She's like, hey, where's my fucking shout out? Uh, we've <laughs> talked about her like on half the podcast. I know. And I was we like, hey, over we, and over we and talk over. about you all the time. Stop. All the time. She's like, yeah, but I, I am a fan too. You know, I didn't get a shout out when the other people got yeah. a shout out. <laughs> well, so here you go. Here's a special shout out for you, Amy. Love you. Love you, Amy. Good job. So we did, uh, I played in my other campaign last night. Ooh, yeah. How did that go? Bro. All like we went to this place in it's, we're playing curse of Strahd for those of you that have not heard me talk about it with my very long time friend, Cody and kind of his table that I've gotten to know now. And they invited me to come play with them. So we're a few, not a few, we're a, we're a chunk into curse of Strahd. Mm-hmm. And we literally last night did something that the locals call, the people that have run Curse of Strahd, the TPK Temple. I've heard about the TPK Temple. It's called the Amber Temple, is mm-hmm. what it is. And Did he kill you all? Oh my god. We walked in this one way, and it was like, oh, this is dangerous. And then we went into the next, well, one of our players went into the next room and got fucked mm-hmm. so hard. 
And I was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do about this? And we we keep going. We're all super low. We're hurting. I haven't burned through a lot of my, like, resources yet, but I am hurting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. if, if I have to burn this last stuff, that's... It's going to be bad. Like, then I have, like, one more that's my shot in the dark. That's it. So, basically, I have two situations left that can help. So, wait, I have a, I have a question really quick. Yeah. You're in the second room and this is happening? <laughs> yes. That's aptly named. And I won't, I won't tell you guys anything because if you're going to play Curse of Strahd, it's fun. Like finding this out it's it's really cool and it's pretty that's i mean i haven't played it but i've heard of tpk temple it's pretty notorious online oh yeah and then no like seeing it and like in just that first area i was like (laughs) yeah no wonder everyone fucking dies (laughs) so then we like kind of we finally get situated and everyone's in a room together and we're all alive Mm -hmm. and so we're like let's take a rest my brain is like, we shouldn't rest in here. Like, right. we need to keep going. I know we're all fucked right now. This is not the place. If we're going to rest, we should just leave. You didn't say anything, though, did you? No, I like watching. I like the way that this group plays. <laughs> they're, they, they're very balls to the wall without, mm-hmm. like, being balls to the wall. They're very character-oriented, and they're fun. Nice. So we all went to sleep, and I was the first watch. <laughs> And I, I did good on my freaking fucking perception, mm-hmm. but three flame skulls appeared. Mm-hmm. And if anyone knows anything about flame skulls, uh, they have one like, I think it's like a fourth level spell slot. Are those the beholder skulls or flame no. skulls something different? They look, we've encountered one or a few in a Conan campaign. Okay. They look like little green, like skulls with green oh, flames around them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now you put three of those up against a party of like six levels like five Mm -hmm. six levels those skulls basically their first move they'll do is they all cast fireball oh my god all three of them all in the same like area boom 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 (laughs) jesus christ and that's not even like because we already killed three of these earlier Mm -hmm. and it was already a fucking shit show Mm-hmm. And that's not even to like lean into like what's actually going on in the Amber Temple besides getting fucked by three fireballs right out the gate. Pretty much it's like right. everyone like is rolling three saves and it's like, okay, you see that somebody roll all saves mm-hmm. and they're like, all right, half damage for you is 45. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, we're all what? dead. And these are like the peons. This is like right. the, the initial denizens of <laughs> it of the place. So yeah, so that's so we basically we wake up because these these flame skulls appear. They mm-hmm. fuck all of us so hard, so hard. Right. And it was pretty much it was pretty much going to be a TPK, but then one of the players goes, "You skipped me." And Cody's like, "What?" <laughs> he's like, "You skipped my turn." <laughs> We're like, "Oh," and he's like. Oh, I did. You actually could have done something. So he, who this character has some sort of, I don't really know what class he is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of us that have taken a level in Warlock, though. Like oh, okay. half the party has a level in Warlock. They're hip to it. If it comes to like ranged battle, we're we're good. We're going to mm-hmm. fight you and we're going to fuck you up. Because there's like five of us that shoot Eldritch Blasts. Oh my God. And there's like each one of us has three beams. One guy mm-hmm. has six beams. So if we all are blasting, it's a situation for the enemy. So it's like four times three plus six. 
Right. Jesus. So it it gets it can get really wild. Mm-hmm. And it's not like they all game like that anyway. Right. Um. But you can still fuck some shit up. Right. If we pardon me, in that scenario. So mm-hmm. he gets to take his turn, and what that what happens is he uses his steel defender. He has like this like little armored character that like is a familiar type thing. Mm-hmm. And that familiar did something to distract the skulls and it got blasted and we left and all like it was, it was going to be a TPK because only one person survived all the fireballs mm-hmm. and they were going to sneak out because it was a rogue. Right. Uh, but then when we let the whole thing retcon all but one person survived and we got them out and I, th- I think we escaped. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to say happened. And that's where we like ended it. Uh, nice. So you're like, well, not going back there. <laughs> well, no, I'm 99% sure we're going back in there. Oh, man. And because uh, all of us are like, fuck that. I'm going back in there. That was fucked. Now that we know, like, because we did get into, like, some other rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but the emergency was one of the characters was fucking one of them. I'm not shitting you, dude. Almost... I think we had five players go unconscious. Mm-hmm. Like it, one of them was the same player that would get knocked out, go a round or two. We'd raise him, he'd get knocked out again. Low hit points, right? Because, and I was only healing people very slightly if they'd get knocked out. Because mm-hmm. we had a healer character that was very based on just like they would focus on healing. Right. So on my turn, like I would raise somebody from unconsciousness and just give them mm-hmm. like five hit points with my paladin, and then let the healer take care of it. Right. But, you know, it was... Say lobby. It was insane. It was a lot of good... It was a lot of fun. That's cool. That's a good... That's a good reason to retcon, for sure. If you're like, oh, we skipped your turn. Shit. Let's go back. Yeah, let's do that. Oops. See if you can do something special and save everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, it was really good. Nice. That's cool. Yeah, Ravenloft, uh, Curse of Straw definitely sounds like fun. I agree. And, you know, speaking of, like, flame skulls and stuff... Mm-hmm. What are we talking about today, Eric? We are going to talk about monsters in D&D and specifically monster stat blocks because they're a little hard to read. If you mm. just if you don't know what you're doing, you might be a new DM or even a player and you open up the monster manual, you might be like, "What? <laughs> I don't I was ready to play, got my books. I don't know what What is this? Yeah, what's happening?" So, we thought we would break this down and I've read the beginning of the monster manual, but I read back through it and I learned some things I don't remember reading. That's good to read the material, especially the introductory stuff in the PHB and the monster manual and the DMG. Um, so we have some examples, but we're going to start with just what Wizards of the Coast and D&D, what, they, what is a monster, what is a stat block, that kind of stuff. What is a monster, Eric? Um... Let's go with the the definition in the monster manual. And most of these are going to be monsters from the monster manual, not say Mordenkainen's mm, Tomb okay. of Foes or Volos, just in case if you're listening, you don't have access to those books. They have amazing monsters. Oh, yeah, they really do. But it's another book to buy or purchase or find. So maybe we'll do, I'd love to do a show just on aberrations because that's a certain type. Yeah. But they deserve their own their own show. Oh, they're so weird. I love aberrations. I use them all the time. So from the Monster Manual, it's got two paragraphs. 
says a monster is defined as any creature that can be interacted with and potentially fought and killed. Even something as harmless as a frog or benevolent as a unicorn is a monster by this definition. So monsters aren't necessarily evil. I think maybe a better term is creature. I agree. So it's all the denizens of the world. Monster is kind of purgative by today's standards. Again, because the internet's insane, monster is now controversial. Like it's a controversial term <laughs> in certain circles. So whatever. Um, but we're going to use what, what the manual uses. Uh, for today. The term also applies to humans, elves, dwarves, and other civilized folk who might be friends or rivals of the player characters. Most monsters that haunt the D&D world, however, are threats meant to be stopped. Rampaging demons, conniving devils, soul-sucking undead, summoned elementals. The list goes on. So... Just are you, all are you the, a voice actor? Are you, are you, uh, are you no, famous? but I should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's basically, this is the perspective of D&D is that all the things you encounter, whether it's NPCs in a city or it's a dragon in its lair or it's the koi fish in a pond, those are all considered monsters for the sake of a DM running a game. Nice. I actually did not know that tell just now yeah i didn't we, we we make a lot of assumptions about what monsters are or right. what this is and if you think about being a publisher of a game you have to be very specific if you're designing a game mm-hmm. this is what a monster is this is what that is um just for the sake of you know you got to put it all in words you know yeah so monsters in game mechanics are expressed through what's called statistics or more commonly, stat block. But stat block is informal. So if you look in the monster manual, they call them statistics. Um, so what are stat blocks? What are they for? They show the monster statistics in one place. It's a little, maybe two-column thing. Usually it's just a little block, a little square. Uh, they give the DM all the info that they need in one place. So as a DM, you need... You need things fast, especially if you're doing random encounters. Oh, yeah. God. You just need to be able to open a page or search the monster on Roll20 or D&D Beyond, find what you need, and move on with life. Uh, They show guidelines for customization. So a lot of what we're going to go through are averages. So the hit points or the alignment, all these things are intended to be changed by the DM. These are just uh, all the monsters. Let me back up. All the monsters in the monster manual are just case studies or examples of what you can throw at your PCs. Right. Most of them are going to be the most classic examples like drow or red dragons or goblins, those kind of things. Um, and then they cut down on planning time. It's so you have, if you need to, and we'll talk about this in a second, let's say you need a monster, you come up with a, a homebrew monster but you haven't spent time on the stat block, you can take a, if they're low level, take a goblin stat block, reskin it. So let's talk about what that means really quick. What yeah, I was going to say, what does reskinning mean, Eric? What is that? I don't know what that is. You don't know what it is? I was going to have you explain I'm it. a new DM. I'm a new DM. Oh, Tell yes. me. Reskinning, it's when you take an innocent creature and you grab a knife and you pull their skin. Holy fuck. <laughs> That's not what it is. I think it's really a video game term. Um, So, for instance, in, let's say, Warframe, you might have a gun, 
and you can reskin that gun to make it look different, give it different colors or that mm. kind of thing. And DMing or DMing and D and D, reskinning would be taking a stat block, taking the mechanical personality of a let's say an ogre, and making the monster look different, act different, sound different for the PCs, but the mechanics don't change. Right. Okay. So the hit points are ogre hit points, the attacks and the um, the special abilities don't change. I reskin all the time. Me too. So if I need a monster, but I don't want the PCs to know what it is, reskin it so they can't metagame and look it up. Right. Especially if Ian's a player, he will look your monsters up. So you better be, <laughs> you better be snappy. Better be snappy. Better know what you're doing. Hey, that's true. Hey, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you something. I do that. It's true. I try not to metagame. I just want to make sure that it's legit. When I haven't done that to you, but I've never really played in a. You've never really been a player. Well, you were, but that was different. Right, and I didn't ever worry about that because. Right. Yeah, I have done that though, and I have definitely caught my uh, fellow DMs making bad choices on the things that they do. Mm-hmm. For sure. Only because I metagamed. Well, and if you only <laughs> look at the flavor of a, of a monster, like, oh, I really want my. I really want my party to fight a dragon. Hmm. You may not consider what the actual mechanics are of a dragon, especially if it's an ancient dragon. It has lair actions. It can do all kinds of stuff. And if you throw the party into that lair, they're going to get smoked unless they're like level 27. Right. According to the rules. That doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen, as we both know. But according to the rules, you're just, you're sentencing them to TPK essentially oh yeah and again tpk is total party kill so that's when all everyone the, in the party dies they or they go unconscious right. which is assumed if everybody goes unconscious it, it, it is assumed that they're all dead so interestingly enough the monster manual starts with uh after it defines a monster it talks about where monsters dwell so it kind of starts with where they dwell so really anywhere but dungeons the Underdark, which the Underdark is like subterranean areas. Especially in Faerun, there's a huge Underdark world. It's its own thing. It's where the drow live. You have all kinds of creatures that only emerge there, like myconids, which are mushroom people. Oh, those are great. Uh, they, they can appear in the wilderness, towns and cities, underwater, and planes of existence. So anywhere else that's not the prime material. So... Avernus or Mount Celestia or Sigil from uh, Planescape, mm. wherever, somewhere else. And there's lots of cool, like the writing in the in the Monster Manual is really good. So they give you a lot of examples of different things, but we're going to skip over that so we can get to the monsters. Monsters. So statistics. It always starts with its name and then it has its size. So we'll put some links in there to the actual monsters we talk about, but I'm going to open to a random uh, stat block. So I open to Lizard Folk, which is on 204 of the Monster Manual, if you're interested. Lizard Folk. Lizard Folk. And they are a medium humanoid, and it's right underneath the title at the very top of the block. And it's cool. This is another thing I didn't realize, is that it actually gives you the space that a certain creature will take up. And this is for tactical reasons. So a tiny, it goes from tiny to gargantuan. Tiny is two and a half by two and a half feet. 
Oh, okay, nice. So it's about half of a five by five square. Hmm. And then you have small, which is five by five, and medium, which are five by five. Most of the creatures that the characters are going to play fill up a five by five square. So if you ever play tactically, those little squares on a tactical mat or on roll 20 represent five, five by five feet. And then it just goes up by five, uh, five feet every size. So large is 10 by 10, huge is 15 by 15, gargantuan is 20 by 20 or larger. So if we just jump around, a fire giant is a huge creature. So they take up 15 by 15 feet, that'd be three squares. Kraken or a purple worm would be 20 by 24, but I feel like gargantuan creatures probably take up way more than that a lot well, of the times. Yeah, it seems like they'd be so big if yeah. they're gargantuan. But again, guidelines. So these are just, here's the basic general rules. If you don't have time to think about it, this is what you can use. You can change any of it if you want. Right. So right after size, you have type. And types are what we were just talking about with aberrations. So aberration is a type of uh, monster. You have celestials, you have humanoids, you have oozes, undead, all the things we think about with fantasy. And in here it has just a little blurb about each. So let's look at what, what are aberrations. Aberrations are utterly alien beings. Many of them have innate magical abilities drawn from the creature's alien mind rather than the mystical forces of the world. The quintessential aberrations are aboliths, beholders, mind flayers, and slotty. Oh. And then uh, one thing that some monsters have, so for instance, they give the, we'll use drow, so I just turn to drow, is monsters can have tags. So for instance, if I look at drow, this is on page 128, uh, it says medium humanoid, but in, then in parentheses, it says elf. So elf is a type of humanoid, or it's got the humanoid tag, because certain magical weapons and certain items will only work against a certain tag. Oh, right, for right, right. So again, everything in the stat block is telling you information that, I don't know about you, Ian, but I take for granted. I never, I don't think oh, yeah. about the stat block that way. Uh, yeah, when I've, because just like you said earlier, I reskin all the time. And sometimes when you're not focused on actually studying the stat block, mm-hmm. you miss little things that you're like, oh, oh, yeah, shit. I didn't think about that. I could have ruined their day. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not going to worry about tags too much. Tags, that name can be a little confusing because now we have hashtags and hyperlinks and tags mean something it's just telling you a little more detail about a certain creature Mm. um okay so then alignment um a monster's alignment provides a clue to its disposition and how it behaves in role-playing in a role-playing or combat situation for example a chaotic evil monster might be difficult to reason with and might attack the characters on sight whereas a neutral monster might be willing to negotiate. So what's interesting about this as alignment is falling more and more out of favor is that the monster manual is basically telling you that this, uh, the alignment of your monster replaces the, uh, the monster reaction table that we've talked about, mm. where you roll the 2d6 right. to decide. The alignment is actually suggesting, hey, if it's chaotic evil, it's going to act a certain way. Mm-hmm. Or that's that's what we suggest you go with. 
And then um, alignment uh, specified in the stat block, blah, blah, blah. Some creatures can have any alignment. In other words, you choose the monstrous alignment. So it might say alignment any. And oh, okay. Because it's like it can be whatever you want it to be. And then there's some creatures that are unaligned, usually animals. Oh. Uh, things that have lower intelligence don't aren't considered to have alignment because they don't have morality in the same way. Right, right, right. And that starts to ring some alarm bells in if you're a modern person. Uh, when we start getting into morality and that kind of thing. So you can get rid of it, but realize it does, it's there for a reason. So you're going to change the way the mechanics work if you just throw alignment out without a second thought. I do it all the time. Um, Yes. And then we have armor class or AC. So again, it's going to tell you, so I just opened to 78. Uh, There's a spined devil. Its armor class is 13 and it has the tag natural armor. Hmm. So this is not something it's wearing. It naturally has this as a, as a creature it is. And then here's where we really get into suggestions, which is hit points. So hit points, if we look at, let's look at something simple. I just turned to 182 and I'm on the Hellhound oh, nice. uh, stat block. It's a good monster. Yeah. Good bo- monster has some cool, unique actions and abilities. Um, its hit points are 45, but then in parentheses it has 7d8 plus 14. So it's telling you the average with the 45, but you could really just roll the 7d8 plus 14 if you wanted to have it be different. Um, you could also give it max hit points if you want, so what's the maximum you could roll on that 7d8 and then add 14 to it. I find as a DM I usually don't have time to worry about that. Like, it's not important, so I just take what's there, move on with my life. Same. Or, like, a thing that I do, depending on the whatever's happening, I'll look at the hit points, look at the party, this month, and it'll be like, oh, it's got 45 hit points. I'll be like, well, now it's got 65. Right. Adding 20 points to a monster that is up against level, like, 14 characters you're not all you're really doing is eating an action you're not going to do much with that you're just going to eat somebody's action so how grueling do you want the combat to be right exactly i hate phrases like this so i'm prefacing this i'm going to say something that is not helpful for me but you want to think about why are you changing the hit points Mm. that seems very abstract but oh i want this to be more grueling i want I want this to be a longer combat. I want to stress the players out a little more. Right, right. Oh, up the hit points. That's an easy way. You can have it just be a soak type yep. thing where you just want them to soak up their attacks. Um, all kinds of reasons to do it. For me, it's always going to be fiction first. So what? how is this serving the story, etc. This is really cool. They have a little chart that's hit dice by size. Oh, nice. If it's huge, you can do um, a D12. Uh, it says the average per hit die, which is so the average for a D12 is six and a half, for instance. Mm. So a lot of the things that new DMs may not know what to do, it's in the intro of the monster manual. And I'm including myself in that. I, I read this before, forgot it all. Looking back through, I'm like, oh, that's really helpful. <laughs> if I have a huge monster, I can just add things. And I'm sure there's some kind of chart where... You're probably supposed to add a certain amount of hit die depending upon the CR mm. or the challenge rating. I bet. Right? Yeah. And then after that, you have the speed. So, again, I'm just going to go, just want to do random blocks. Um, I might not put all these blocks that I'm mentioning in the 
in the description, but there'll be a lot that you can look at. And if you just look up D&D 5e stat block, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. Oh, everything is on there. Everything in there. Everything. So uh, speed is going to be right below hit points, and it's the first kind of row. There's a line right above armor class and a line right below speed. So you'll see. For a drow, so I went back to drow, 128 is the page. It's got a speed of 30 feet, and that means it can move 30 feet per round. Or if you're being tactical, it means you can move six squares. Boop, boop, boop. Now, speed is the first time we have special types of speed. So a creature might be able to burrow. So they have a burrowing speed. Oh, right. If they have wings, they're going to have a fly speed. Monsters like giant spiders have a climbing speed, so they can skitter up walls. And then uh, aquatic creatures or certain magical creatures will have a swim speed. So you might have... Speed, 30 feet, and then swim, 20 feet. Right. Something like that. And there are rules for you can't just go 30 feet and then go 20. You can only usually go up whatever your max amount is. So if you have a walking speed of 30, swimming of 20, you could walk 10 and then swim 20, for mm. instance. So it's equaling out the math. So I, I see what you're saying. So the max. You couldn't, yeah, you couldn't move 50 feet. Right. You can you can swim or, or walk, but it's usually going by the max, whatever your highest movement speed is. Right. Now, that's going by memory. I could be wrong on that, but that's what I remember reading. And then you have the ability scores. So the ability scores, just like for a character sheet, um, it's going to give you the basic scores, and it's really nice. It gives you the modifiers. So I'm on page 108 at the Adult Bronze Dragon stat block so it has a strength of 25 which is a nightmare and it gets a plus 7 to its modifier so if you need to roll a strength check you roll a d20 plus 7 and again sometimes you might see certain things like why like I really like playing with owl bears and they're really fucking dumb they've got like an intelligence of 3 so I'm like you know I like having owl bears have a little more intelligence so I might bump it up to 10 or things like that. It's totally fine to do. Just realize there will be consequences or reactions to doing that that you can't anticipate. Right. You won't you won't be able to foresee. And then if they're proficient in saving throws, it will show that below the stats. So I'm on page fifty five for the Balor, which is a type of demon, and he's proficient with strength, constitution, wisdom, and charisma, a whole bunch. So like he gets a plus fourteen to his strength saving throw. Which is insane. Yeah, you'd have so to you roll a d20, and then you add 14. 14 to it. So you'd have to roll so low to yeah, fucking to, fail. Oh, or have some kind of thing that's good against demons or something, mm. right? Yeah, so if you roll a 10, that's 24 on a strength saving throw. So you're probably not going to get him through strength, probably. No, definitely not. And then this is, I was talking to Ian before that's we me. started recording. That's you. That's me. About... Uh, it actually, because it doesn't show you a creature's proficiency bonus, which that really bothered me for a long time. But again, I'm in the intro, and there is a proficiency bonus by challenge rating table in here. So for instance, let's just, why don't you pick a monster? Ian's got Fitzpin's Treasury of Dragons, but he doesn't have the monster manual, which is why you hear me doing a lot of the speaking right now. Monster. An eye drake. So what is its CR or challenge rating? Eight. A creature with a CR of eight has a plus three as its proficiency bonus. 
Nice. Uh, here's something interesting, though, that Fizbins has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has that. It says that on here. Oh, it has it in there? Mm-hmm. So it says nice. Challenge 5, Proficiency, plus 3. Oh, see, so they've... They've updated it. Fitzpins is new, and they're going to update the stat blocks, and I think they're going to do that for uh, Mordenkainen's Multiverse of Monsters. Oh, they're nice. They're all going to have the updated. So this may change. This is only going by the old... What's soon to be the old monster manual. Right. Um, Mordenkainen's looks really cool because they're redoing, the, I think, over 250 monsters, which is potentially the whole monster manual. Right. right. So it's pretty crazy. I'm excited. I just wish you didn't have to buy three books to get it. Yeah. That's my one complaint. Yeah. Because I have the other two. I don't need them again. But I don't want whatever. those again. Yeah. I just want the new. Um, and then certain monsters might have skills. So, Ian, I'm going to let you search for monsters and Fitzbins for this. So, if you look at a stat block, okay, um, you just see right below saving throws. They mm-hmm. don't all have skills, but some of them might have skills. Oh, this one does. Yeah, so what skills does it have? This one that I'm looking at is a young sapphire dragon. Oh, beautiful. And its skills are history plus seven, mm-hmm. perception plus ten, persuasion plus 11 yeah stealth plus six there you go so if you roll if you had to have the dragon roll a persuasion check or the creature roll a persuasion check you'd roll it and then add 11 to your roll so if you rolled a 10 10 plus 11 equals 21 that's pretty good that's a good modifier yeah and then you get into vulnerabilities resistances and immunities which means um, like a water drake, I'm just pulling this out of my ass. This may not be correct, but a, a water drake might be vulnerable to fire, for instance. Mm. Uh, you won't always see vulnerabilities with monsters. It's not consistent with everything, but certain creatures, like for instance, undead, are notoriously vulnerable to healing spells, mm-hmm. radiant That's, damage. Too. Yeah, radiant damage, those kind of things. Immunities. We kind of talked about this. Uh, two episodes ago where if you want to challenge your party make them immune make your monsters immune to typical types of damage like if you took if you made a monster immune to radiant and force damage oh wow your players would flip out because they wouldn't know what was happening especially force because that's like magic missile so many things so many related to force and those things hit and usually just do a good 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 damage. damage yeah so there are ways to manipulate damage types, immunities, resistances, those kind of things to get different results or to challenge your players. After that, we have senses. And this is like, how far can it see? And just like speed, there are certain special types of senses. So you have normal sight, um, which usually it won't say because there are rules in the PHB, the player's handbook, and the DMG, the Dungeon Master's Guide about normal sight. But a lot of creatures have things like blind sight. So they can see even if they're blindfolded or they've been magically blinded. So they can... They can still see. They can still see. It's brutal. <laughs> it's really brutal. Yeah. Uh, you have dark vision, which most player races have. So that means you can basically see in the dark. Tremor sense, which is really cool, which means monsters can sense things through vibration. And then true sight, which means you can see through everything. Oh, yeah. Magical darkness doesn't hinder you. You can see invisible creatures. So a lot of epic 
monsters like dragons will have things like true sight stuff like that so another way to challenge your party if you want the you know if you have a rogue who likes to go invisible give your monster true sight they're gonna have a bad time yep and they're gonna yell at you because they're like i'm invisible and you're like yeah i know you are you can't do that you can't do that they watched you go invisible but now i'm invisible okay uh and here's another thing that i learned which just makes me feel really dumb Right next to their senses, they list the monster's passive perception, which I'm like, what the fuck? Never noticed that before. So passive perception is very useful. It's really a DM tool. All players have it. They tend to not understand what it's for. Passive perception is for the DM to determine whether creatures or players see or perceive something without having to make a roll. So that Mm. way, if you want to keep something secret as a DM or... They might see something, they might not. You have a number that you can specifically refer to. So all monsters have passive perception, which I'm like, that's smart. That's smart. I'm glad that's there. Um, Then next will be languages. And that just tells you what the monster, uh, what languages it understands. If it's a really smart monster, if it has a high intelligence, so let's say its intelligence is 20, it's probably going to have more languages on there. Oh yeah, for sure. If it's if it's an older monster like giants, dragons, uh, beholders, illithids, they live for a long time. They might have more languages. And then there's a special type of language comprehension, which is telepathy. So creatures that can speak directly to your mind. So mind flayers or illithids would be the classic example. So they don't speak at all with their mouth appendage thing. They speak directly with their brain thinkies. Brain thinkies. Brain thinkies. Yeah, it's a technical term. And then finally we come to the either lauded or maligned, depending upon who you are, the challenge rating. So I'm going to let Ian explain what the challenge rating is. Unless he doesn't want to. He's looking at me like, why are you making me do this? Well, I mean, I can... Eric's Eric's better with the smart, smart stuff. I'm going to just wing it and say what I think it kind of is, like how I interpreted that. You heard it from me, and folks, I'm good at the smart, smart stuff. So, (laughs) uh, according to what my blasted memory is remembering, is the challenge rating is supposed to give you the idea of what a party of like four characters at that level should be able to handle that monster. That's exactly right. Sweet. That's all it is. Yeah. And uh, so if it says the challenge rating is 10, that means four 10th level characters should be able to fight that creature. Mm-hmm. Um, now, from my experience, it's, it's a really trash way of... It's really inaccurate. Yeah. I've... I've seen parties of like fifth level characters rip apart 12th challenge ratings. Yeah. And vice versa. Something that's like, oh, that's pretty. Okay. That's a CR four. Cool. Just murder the party. Like they might still get through it, but they, it just, they have some power in there that you didn't anticipate. Like there was a, I don't, don't even remember what it's called right now, but basically this thing that's made out of like human body parts and stuff. And when you attack it over a certain amount, it can divide like a cell. Mm, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So the battle just went on because this thing could keep replicating. It was really crazy, but it wasn't a high CR. Right. So, and you could have like, again, this has to do with CR Mm -hmm. when you, if you have like, I don't know, 10 goblins, let's just say, Mm -hmm. or 
anything where there's a mass of characters that they can throw spears or they have bows and arrows. If you have every single one of those attack one character, uh, it ends up going real badly for the character because it's, you know, even if they each all, if they all of them, all 10 of them do four damage, Mm -hmm. it's 40 damage. It's devastating. And something we should talk about once we go through the blocks is uh, the idea of the action economy. Mm. And I think we talked about it in like one of the first episodes. Right. But it's really important for DMs to think about this as a conceptual framework. But let's put it to the side for now. Yeah. And we'll come back to it because there's some cool stuff with minionizing and what I'm going to call withholding creature actions, which are really, really useful to use as a DM. So for me, and I didn't ever frame it this way until just now, but I think I use the challenge rating as a power rating. Mm. Like if it has an eight, I generally know what the power of the creature is going to be, not necessarily how it's going to interact with the players. Mm. And that goes back to our kind of white room theorizing. Oh, for sure. For sure. So this is in isolation. Here's how powerful it is. Once you put it in the real world, it's really hard to predict how that's going to go. Right? Yeah, I like that. That's how I use it because a lot of times I might be in a rush. I might be planning quickly. I just want something to tell me generally what is this creature going to do? How powerful is it without me having to read a bunch? Right. Okay, eight. Perfect. That'll work. It's not going to to obliterate one of my players in the first round of combat, for Mm -hmm. instance. Where if it's CR 27, yeah, let's not use that. Yeah, that's big. That's real big. That's like end of campaign big right there. That's the CR of the monster I have over here yeah it's 27 yeah and that's i think uh the red dragon that i have queued up is cr 27 the ancient red dragon right right mine's the uh the upgrade of that that i'm looking at yeah speaking of which this is hilarious because our friends have started to listen to the podcast and like you always call us out yeah we're gonna call you out again oh yeah we're gonna call you out i'm about to call out our old dm here in a minute one of our friends in Ian's campaign, which is the Forge campaign, keeps complaining about our elves being teenagers, even though they're around 100. Oh, my God. It's amazing. And not trusting the, the homebrew process, which is fine. It's fun to have those debates. But it's like, dude, we've we fought ancient red or ancient dragons in the Conan campaign. An ancient dragon, by definition, is at least 800 years old. And we took them out. No problem. Right. So if you're talking about how old something is being how effective it is, like we're already past the uh, uncanny valley on that, my friend, oh, yeah. in my opinion. So I was reading that today. I was like, hey, wait a minute. Come on now. The whole idea of time and relation to creatures and monsters living like, oh, take, for example, elves. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they live to, let's just fucking broad stroke it, 2,000 years. Right. Uh, when you're 100, that ain't shit. You're nothing right. to 2,000. Like, you're nowhere. And think about, like, a baby giraffe. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that it develops is not like a human develops. It's a totally different order of magnitude. It's a different thing. We're both mammals, but the giraffe plops out of the womb, stands up, starts running around. Where a human baby needs, like, 20 years to really be a fully functioning member of its group. So, elves... You could say, well, they don't reach maturity because, yeah, they can walk around, they can speak language, but they don't really function correctly until they're like 100. Right. 
Like it's a different order of thing. Well, this character keeps saying, I'm a hundred years old. Well, dude, no, actually your character is supposed to be the emotional maturity of the youngest in the party. So 16 years old is what your character's mentally prepared for. So you're probably more like 70. Right. And that's just the 16 is just an analogy because we're not actually elves. Right. But they're a different creature. They're not humans. This is not human time here. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. But I I also love that he leans into that because even though, let's just say it, even though Jerry. Oh, uh, Jerry, you've been called out, brother. Even though Jerry talks a lot about that, I I choose to just translate that into it's his character. Even though I know it's Jerry, I'm just like, that's your character talking right now. And and I agree because what do 16-year-olds constantly do? They're like, I'm an adult. I can can drive. I can do this. Like, yep, there you go. I can read. I can read. (laughs) Okay. I know magic. Perfect. Yep, you're right. I mean, think how hard it would really be if dragons existed. Oh, my God. And there's an ancient dragon that's evil that's been around for a thousand years it's like an evil genius you're not killing that thing oh yeah that thing is ruling the world so this is D&D where they're designed to be defeated that's you know it's, right. it's designed to move the story along they are designed to be defeated speaking of which we'll get into it but there are some really cool like the lair of a red dragon when I started reading through I was like I want to do a campaign around this now like this is oh, yeah. so cool red dragons red dragon has a lot of fun so awesome so back to the stamp block. The next thing is special traits. Very small, basically is if the creature has innate spell casting abilities. And what that means is certain monsters, I'm just going to call them creatures from now yeah, on. Yeah, I keep wanting to say creature too. Yeah. And Kobold Press, which is a great third party. Um, I love their books. They're so good. We should do an episode on Kobold Press at some point. Cause oh, that'd be cool. I'm very inspired by their monster manuals. and I'd, I'd love to do episodes on all of the like really big companies that are yeah. putting things out, like Kobold Press. I'd love to talk about Darrington. Darrington, Paizo would be Paizo. I don't know the name of the company yet, but I see their ads a lot where they... It almost looks like they take kind of very famous Wizards of the Coast things and like... Mm-hmm crank them up to a thousand there could be i mean there's green ronin which is highly lauded they've won, mm. won a bunch of stuff they do 5e but they also do their own what's stuff. uh you may have even said it what's um your buddy that not buddy but you're the guy you like colville what's his group called uh that's just mcdm productions mm. so uh kingdoms and warfare by the way they have a monster section for kingdoms of warfare i forgot about this there are some really cool monsters in those books. Are they 5e adaptable? They are 5e monsters. Oh, dude, I need to look at it. Straight up. But they're, they're original, very well thought through monsters. I forgot about this. We're not going to say anymore because this is going to go into the Sh- Shadow of AO campaign. Oh, okay, cool. But just like looking at it, I was like, man, this company just constantly produces phenomenal material. Coville, everything I've even like glanced at that he's a part of, I'm like, mm-hmm. holy shit, that is awesome. And Coville is a game designer. Like he worked for big video game companies as a writer. Oh, so cool. he comes at everything in D&D from a design standpoint, mm-hmm. like making it fun to use, making it function and making it be something that people want to use. Nice. So that's much different than other companies. 
yeah. you could say. So, yeah, we'll get to that. They're also Free League, which does Symbarum, and a, uh, they do After the Flood, which is Tales from the Loop RPG. Mm, okay. If listeners remember uh, the Amazon Prime series, which is really cool. It's like old sci-fi, so there's all these old technology, but it's technology that's super advanced for what's actually real. So we'll get to that. One day. So uh, Also, another special trait is psionics. By the way, Wizards, just come out with a psionic class, for God's sakes. Yeah, come on. Come on, dude. What the fuck? Who cares about the people who want to crying about it that don't want in their campaign? Don't put it in your campaign, but psionics should be in D&D. Come on. If, if Wizards of the Coast listened to all the crybabies out there, we'd get no content. No content. We'd get, we'd get first edition pencil and paper. Right. That's what we'd get. And the, I think it's Colville. He had a video about, look, if... If you change a rule, so if the monsters can do something, the players should be able to do it, vice versa. Mm. So if the monsters can do psionics, the players should be able to do psionics. And yes, I know there's the, what the Psyblade Rogue and there's some subclasses. Yeah, that's Piddles. Come on. Come on now. Right. Anyways. Um, And then you get to actions in the stat block. So usually actions are like melee and ranged attacks. It has some creature versus target type stuff. And if uh, there might be certain effects on a hit, oh, it also do this arrow deals poison damage or blah, 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 blah. Um, if it misses. Blah, 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 blah. And then if it misses, you can also have things happen. Lots of monsters have multi-attack. Lots of them. And I think this is a good time to maybe talk about the action economy and what's going on here. If you just look at a bunch of monsters, it might seem very unfair that monsters have all these multi-attacks. And generally, unless you're min-maxing or you're heavy into fighter, you're not going to get multiple attacks on something. Mm -hmm. So, Ian, what is the action economy? The action economy... Well, right now the economy is really in the dumps. It's really so in the, the dumps. actions are real hard right now. Like a penis. Ah. Like a fluffed penis. No. Yes. Waggle. Childhood. Three inches away from your face. No. Childhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's a callback to a prior joke for anyone that actually listens. Um, the action economy to me, and I mean, again... I might word this poorly, but... Just word it. I think that action economy is like... Players have a certain amount of actions that they'll be able to take. Mm-hmm. You have your creatures, and you might have a lot of creatures. And they have their actions that they're going to be able to take. Comparing the two... So you're looking at how much the players can do... Versus how much the monsters or creatures can do. Mm-hmm. And you're going to start noticing as you're just looking that... Players can do so much... And the monsters can do a lot, but the monsters get more because they need to cause more threat. The players have more, they deal with things. So it's kind of the, the how much how much you can do per turn versus, not even versus, that's it. How much you can do per turn yeah, and how that creates balance within fighting. That's right. Yeah. And Ian was saying before, let's say you have a party of four. Let's just say they're tier two, so they're level five. Okay. And they're facing off against 20 goblins. Oh, shit. Goblins are very low level, but they let's say each goblin, I think they get two attacks. Oh, that's going to be trouble. Let's make man. sure. Let's make sure on that. Goblin. They don't. So Just single. Single attack, but 
uh, if you had goblin bosses, they get two attacks. That kind of thing. So you could throw like three goblin bosses or two in there within the the twenty. So it's actually right. eighteen regular and two goblin bosses. Two goblins. But basically, that's eighteen actions plus what four something yeah, like that. So, so twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah. Math. Fuck. Math. Lots of math in D and D. Especially if you're doing it all actual analog tabletop. Oh, there's, brutal. There's no roll 20 to do your math for you. All right. Um, versus, let's say you have four PCs. Let's say two of them are fighters. All right. That's fair. And they both have action surge. So that's four actions plus a wizard and a cleric. Okay. So that's what... Well, that's only that'll only be four actions on one of their turns. They can't action surge each turn. Right, on one of their turns and they have to rest. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, let's include the action surge. Just okay. to bump it up a little bit to sure. show how extreme this is. So that would be six actions, probably. Right. So your six versus 22, those PCs are probably going to die, even though they're in a white room, since they're more powerful. I've heard this is misattributed, but as uh, Churchill has been known, uh, a quote from him is, quantity has a quality all its own. Right. So the size of your force determines how the battle is going to go for your PCs. Yeah. So a lot of these big monsters have multiple actions because you're assuming there's going to be a party of four. Most of the time I found it's either three or it's like seven. Yeah. That monster has to deal with, you know, let's say it's a group of 10th level fighters. They can all do three attacks each and lots of damage and special attacks and they have action surge it has to compete against this insane group of murder hobos essentially right i've heard it said over and over that 5e is not designed for a party to go up against one big monster that party will murder that monster so usually you have lair actions which we'll get to you'll have minions you'll have other things that kind of guard the big bad from the party mm to balance out the action economy. Um, getting back to the stat block, they have uh, reactions. So reaction is something that a creature or a PC does in reaction to something else. It's usually very quick. And most monsters have these little notations that make no sense if you don't know what it's talking about. So, And here it uses some algebraic terms, so X and Y. So X slash day, so maybe it says three slash day. Mm -hmm. means that the monster could use that three times per day. Right, right, right. If it's uh, recharge, recharge. 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 Uh, Recharge uh, X-Y means, so usually a D6. If it has, let's say a dragon has a breath weapon, it's a recharge on a five to six. means you have to roll a D6 at the beginning of its turn or the end, I don't remember. Um, And then it gets to use that breath weapon again on the turn. Yeah, I think it's at the beginning of its turn it rolls its recharge. Is it the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. So these are just ways to, again, intensify and give a little more randomness to the monster. Yeah. And not just have a beast, not have it steamroll. Breath weapon, breath weapon, breath yeah. weapon, breath yeah. weapon. Yeah. yeah. The PCs are going to have a bad time. And then you might have recharge after a shorter long rest, too. Mm-hmm. So short rest is an hour, long rest is eight hours. And then the last part for just a standard stat block is going to be equipment. Most monsters don't have equipment listed besides their armors and weapon or weapons. It might be like if you have a battle master, I think they've got like three or four weapons. They've got all kinds of crazy shit. Hmm. 
which is weird because you would think that D&D would add some gold into the stat blocks for drops. Again, so DMs don't have to do all this work, but that's not the way D&D set up. You can do random table drops and treasure, and we can talk about that another time. Right, right. So that's the basic stat block until we get to legendary creatures. Legendary actions. A legendary action. So, Ian, what is a legendary creature? A creature that's got a legend? (laughs) So here's what the monster manual says. A legendary creature can do things that ordinary creatures can't. See, and even here, we're starting to get to the term creature instead of monster, right? Right. It can take special actions outside its turn, and it might exert a magical influence for miles around. So that's another cool thing that it talks about in here that I, as a DM, never think about that I think would be cool to add in more, Mm -hmm. which is regional effects. So basically, legendary actions can be taken after a PC action. So let's say your ranger shoots three arrows does like uh what's that uh spell like ability they have where they can target a certain creature hunter's mark Mm. and then your red dragon can take one of its legendary actions right at the end of the pc's turn suddenly it can go boom do something devastating it usually has three per turn i actually didn't understand what legendary actions were i didn't understand how they worked until one day i watched so i love critical role I have a great time. I really wanted to get into season one, but it's really hard to watch that to much watch. content. And yeah. it's when it's that old, it's the quality is really rough. Quality's not good. Uh, which, you know, a lot of people, that was their intro to it. And I totally get that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it has like a feel to it that's different. And I get that. But I just skipped to the last like two or three episodes. Mm-hmm. Said to myself, you are probably going to be able to infer a lot of these characters, like stuff that goes on inside things that you'll be like oh okay that's cool Mm -hmm. and i watched the final boss battle of critical role and mercer would do these legendary actions and it blew my mind because we'd been playing for a year and a half two years almost and i none of us understood that very well right and then i was noticing oh he gets to make an action after the player's turn so it's like he gets multiple turns in a sense or he gets like double the actions yeah it's crazy again those are just those are his legendary actions there are other actions that they can get aren't there eric oh yeah well so there's uh there's lair actions so legendary creatures usually have a lair so the one i was reading about that we'll get into a little bit is the red dragon i think the lair in the book is a an active volcano so the caldera of an active volcano uh usually they're mountain dwellers and blah 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 we're not going to worry about the flavor but uh here's the actions it can take so this is at the beginning of its turn essentially uh magma erupts from a point on the ground the dragon can see within 120 feet of it creating a 20 foot high five foot radius geyser Each creature in the geyser must make a DC 15 dexterity saving throw, taking 21, then in parentheses, 66, so you could roll for it, fire damage on a failed save, or half as much damage on a successful one. Nice. So again, this is like another action. You can do tremor shakes, volcanic gases, or you can make your own up. And that's, these are things that happen on initiative turns. They happen. Plus you have legendary actions. Mm-hmm. Plus you have your turn. Yeah. And then my favorite thing is uh, 
probably the next thing you'll talk about. Maybe. We'll see. So there's layer actions and then there's regional effects is Mm. the other thing. And this is the thing I'd love to incorporate more. I've kind of done that in my Shadow of Ao campaign, but just more in terms of flavor. But for instance, Red Dragon, by virtue of there being a legendary creature in a region, that's going to magically alter the surrounding terrain for miles and miles and miles. So for instance, uh, regional effects for a red dragon layer. So the region is, a f- is warped by the dragon's magic, which creates one or more of the following effects. Small earthquakes are common within six miles of the dragon's lair. Oh, nice. Water sources within one mile of the lair are uh, supernaturally warm and tainted by sulfur. Uh, rocky fissures within one mile of the dragon's lair form portals to the elemental plane of fire, allowing creatures of elemental fire into the world to dwell nearby. So think how, I mean, right there it's suggesting, here's an adventure hook. Local town, they're getting overrun by fire elementals. Right. Why? Oh, you can add in cool things. So I love the idea of a regional effects. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, really, really cool. So I think Ian was thinking more in terms of mythic. That's correct. Yeah. Why don't you break down mythic? I'm not terribly familiar with mythic creatures, but they are the next step up in... Well, the... uh, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. What I have here is Eric was pulling up the red dragon stat block, and I Mm -hmm. have right here... Let me get it. Did you pull up the chromatic great worm? That's absolutely what I did. That's what I have open too. Because I wanted to remember how I was like, I'm going to call out our our old DM. Oh man! So <laughs> the red dragon has a great stat block. It's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. And then Fizzbins opened up this idea to the great worm. The great worm or a mythic creature. They have this like. It's kind of like legendary, but they're one bigger. So it's almost like a unique version of a legendary. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just to kind of give it a a little bit of a flavor. Great worms come from a situation Mm -hmm. when they, uh, a dragon kind of breaches, it, it uses, I don't know, some sort of magic and ascends and basically devours other versions of itself from the multiverse or combines with them right. to create a more powerful ber- version of the dragon. It's basically the movie one with Jet Li. Right. Where it realizes there's a multiverse and then it finds the al- alternate versions of itself and takes them out. Yes. And it pulls that power into itself and basically becomes a god at a certain point. And there crazy their stat blocks are unreal but they they're granted mythic actions and what that what happens for a mythic action is your dragon let's say your chromatic great worm your party somehow kills it it's mythic situation what it does it comes back to life with full health and now it has another additional action which would be its mythic action Mm -hmm. which is very similar to its actions it's already been using but now it has more yep and it usually is a little bit stronger plus it's its hit points are back (laughs) all of them it's like the classic video game thing where you you defeat the final boss and guess what that's not its final form 
da da, and then da, da, the screen da. starts flashing red and black, and then it comes back in a crazier version. Final Fantasies are notorious. Oh yes. So I had here's me gonna call out my our. He's not our old DM. He still is a DM. He's just not DMing currently. There's a dragon you fight in Storm King's Thunder, mm-hmm. and uh, Fizzbins came out right before that. And our DM was looking on, looking through Fizzbins, trying to figure out a great worm. And I was like, "Why? Why are you looking into that? Why are you doing that?" He's like, "I just want to see it." And I was like, "Bullshit! You're gonna try and pull some great worm bullshit on us and have us fight a great worm rather than the fucking monster we're supposed to be fighting." No, I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. He did. Yeah, you did. You did. He did. We all he know did. it. We saw it. <laughs> we saw it. We did it, and it didn't look. If you would have researched the Great Worm and you would have applied its power to the scenario, it would have been great. But you didn't. You didn't look at it. It was brutal. You just here's a, here's the thing, it. though. That the dragon we fought felt kind of... I don't know if it's the way the campaign was written or just the way we played it. It felt like an afterthought. Like we solved yeah. the mystery and it's like, okay, now go do this other thing. There's no reason to have a Great Worm which is like, that's your final boss right there that's the end of the campaign and it's going to be really epic a lot of players might die right you're going to kill it it's going to come back i mean it is a centerpiece monster it's a centerpiece creature and he just kind of threw it in not it didn't it wasn't even mythic because he didn't use the mythic qualities of the creature that's what i'm saying is if he would have taken the time and like really sketched out this final encounter with his great worm Right. It could have been insane. Right. And again, I'm just saying, bro, you should have gone with what they built for what you because it would have been easier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I know that our this DM, if he had the time to do it, it would have been great. Right. But he didn't. But even if he had, we would have been pissed. We're like, can we just... Oh, yeah, because we were at the already. end of our fucking rope with that we campaign. We were done with We it. were done. Yeah. So done. So done. Yeah, and I think that's... Again, that's why we... Uh, we've talked about a little bit we want a little bit shorter campaigns with this group like so we can like yeah. do some fun and like all right let's move on let's do something else let's have some other fun as we get more experience i think it would be fun to do a published campaign now that we know about things like mythic oh, actions right. and pacing and planning and i think it would be a lot funner now just because we all know more how this game is supposed to be run and supposed to be run not necessarily to the rules but having the table time to understand that absolutely and i think that that's again we're just talking about things we've learned like with all of the stuff that i even just said it was a learning experience like we didn't even know know. yeah we didn't know so it's all about learning we just love to call out our friends well most of them don't listen and some of them have started and they're like hey (laughs) yeah they're starting to hit us up be like hey you said this and this and we're like just wait it's a good litmus test for who's listening so it's it's entertainment for us and i'll tell you this friends of ours that are listening the people that don't really know us that listen they love it they love it love it i feel like that covers monsters in a at least like the approach to monsters in a general sense I wanted to take one monster and just do a case study. Sure, let's bring him up. So I'm going to skip, and we're going to go to Slotty, because I have a soft spot in my heart for Slotty. We're not going to go through any of this, but if you actually read the history of the monster in the like the flavor text, basically, before you get to the stat block, 
Mm-hmm. Some of them have very kludgy kind of piecemeal coolness that D&D has where you have like, you go into a dungeon, you find out it's an old rocket ship. Oh, right, right. Very kind of pulp fantasy. So Slotty are these giant monster frogs, which seems like, why is that threatening? Well, they're crazy because they were created in the uh, plane of limbo because, uh, what is his name? Um, Primus, who's the overlord of, God, what is the... It's the plane of order. It's where Modrons come from. Oh, I don't. I, I could have told you twenty years ago. Right, but this he made this stone that was supposed to create order, and he threw it out into the the universe. He's like, oh, I've solved it. Case closed. And then when it got to Limbo, it did make these pockets so like the Githyanki could. Uh, that's where they live. You know, mm. it's in Limbo and etc. But it had this unintended consequence of spawning this whole race of creature called the Slot, or the Slotty, plural. And they can do really crazy stuff. So some of them, when they hit you, they implant eggs into you, which eventually burst out of your chest. Yeah. Like an alien, like a xenomorph. Some of them scratch you and you get what's called the Chaos Phage, so you turn into a Slot. And also, you can't kill them unless you... Uh, stab into their head, open it up, and there's a jewel inside, a stone. And then you can control them. Wow. So I I don't even think you can really kill them. They're very strange and pulpy and amazing. So we're going to look at a red slot because they have the cool power where they implant the eggs. Mm. So they're an aberration. Uh, They're large. They're chaotic neutral. Uh, They got an AC 14, which isn't too crazy, and 93 hit points, which if you have four six level characters are going to clean that up no problem yeah that'll take two rounds it'll die here's the cool part though so they have magic resistance so they get advantage on saving throws and against spells and anything magical and here's where it starts to get complicated they have regeneration so they gain 10 hit points at the beginning of every turn so if this was a first encounter with a slot if I wanted to make an impression I would up that regeneration so that the characters would see very clearly that this creature its wounds close up right and that kind of thing um, I might give it less hit points like I might lower the hit points but make the regeneration higher so if somebody does a really good hit they're done right 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 <laughs> they get multi-attack that's nice so they make three attacks one with its bite two with its claws bite Pretty standard melee weapon attack, plus six to hit, reaches five feet. That's one thing we didn't talk about. If it says reach reach in your melee attack, this is just for monsters. Um, And let's say it says reach 10 feet. It means that it can reach one square farther. So instead of just adjacent, so all the squares that are right around its square, it can go one square farther. Mm. It has suddenly its ability to hit creatures becomes much bigger. Here's where it gets bad. So, claw attack. It can make two of these every round. Okay? Plus six to hit, reach five feet, one target, blah, blah, blah. Uh, If the target is a humanoid, it must succeed on a DC difficulty class. 14 constitution saving throw or be infected with a disease. Nice. A minuscule slot egg. So, let's say it just successfully hits one. Let's say it hits a cleric who has low constitution. You don't tell the PCs what happened and they kill the slot. Oh, we're done. Yeah, we solved that. That was weird. But here's what happens. The humanoid host can carry only one slot egg to term at a time over three months. The egg moves to the chest cavity, gestates, 
forms a slad, slod tadpole in the 24-hour period before giving birth. The host <laughs> starts to feel unwell. Its speed is halved uh, and has disadvantage on attack rolls, ability checks, and saving throws. At birth, the tadpole chews its way through the vital organs and out of the host's chest in one round, killing the host in the process. Not rendering a conscious. Killing. Killing. This is a CR5 monster. It seems like, no, it's not too bad. Yeah, read the fine print. <laughs> Always be familiar with your monsters. And if the disease is cured before the tadpole's emergence, uh, the unborn slot is disintegrated. Oh, nice. But again... The fine print states the players don't know that something's wrong until the day before it hatches. That's so brutal. So that might be too late. Yeah, really brutal. So that is a great case study for the CR is not telling you how brutal this monster is going to be. Right. And it has lasting effects once it's gone, if it makes even one hit. The other thing I wanted to talk about, we're pretty much done, but uh, I like the idea of phased actions and withholding actions and that is those aren't technical terms that's just what i'm calling it which is if i throw in a a heavy monster i may not just have them do all the stuff that they can do right at the beginning right i might have them do basic actions in the first round add a little in the second round so on and so forth or i might wait till i kind of stole this from uh Fourth edition, if they get the bloodied condition, so if they go below half, they start doing heavier attacks. They start getting meaner because that's fun for tension. And also, I like the players to feel stressed out. (laughs) I don't want them to just get obliterated. And that's a good way to have them fight tougher monsters without it being just a a slaughter. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, just like you're saying, there's a lot of monsters you can find if you take the time and read through them you'll find things about monsters you're like holy shit yeah. I could just like use three of these rather than try and overwhelm my party with like ten one. goblins maybe yeah. just three of these have that one do this have that one do that and that's going to hinder my party and make it challenging but they'll easily wipe up with it but it will still scare them it'll still be intense and especially if you can attack the character sheet like we've talked about attack hmm. different aspects that will really f- freak them out and the last thing is minions. Ooh, I love the minions. We've talked about minions, but if you have a bunch of creatures, so for instance, um, my party attacked this uh, group of priests in, in the Monday campaign, the Shadow Veil campaign, and I just intentionally kept their hit points really low, so they would just spend their action just hitting this one priest. They would kill it, so they'd feel really good. It was very movie-like, but it wasn't a huge wasn't a huge challenge or anything like that so you could call it cannon fodder but i think having some especially in a big creature having kind of a buffer is a great way to make your encounters more complex right so mm, i love it i do yeah i uh i have a question for you what do you like to poop your pants i do nice I, i do very much i try to once a day once a day. A good cream in the pants. Well, on that note, <laughs> stay sweaty, everybody. Oh, especially in your butt. Oh, hi. Look at you listening all the way to the end. You know what? I think that deserves a level up. So go ahead. You level up with your bad self. And you know, 
If you like what we do, please share it with your fellow humans. We love doing this podcast, and we'd love to have more people listening. We have a link tree in the description that links to all the links that are linked therein and forthwith. Also, Jerry did our badass music, and what you hear is only the tip of the iceberg. You can check out all his notes and scales and chords at theplayercharacter.com. Well, that's all for Meow. Remember to roll high and take a point of inspiration. Like, subscribe!